Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, I'm Alejandro Kalini, and thank you for listening to the podcast that, at least for now, is still currently Toxic Podcast. Uh, Toxic Podcast is a podcast that I do alone. I wouldn't wish it on anyone else where I consume and process toxic media. However, we have reached an impasse. I know that in the last episode, we reached an impasse where Saw 3 kind of broke me in a way that the previous Saw movies hadn't. This is an even greater impasse, and uh, I gotta say, the yields as a listener of, of this podcast, they, 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 they double and quadruple. What I'm saying is every episode gets better, and that's, I don't know if that's true, but you're benefiting from uh, a weird, how do I want to get into this? How do I want to get into this? I'm also trying to, I've imposed some structure on my podcast. What did I learn last week? Well, I learned that I'm extremely suggestible. I learned that maybe this isn't the greatest thing to do. I also need to be honest. When I say last week, I don't mean last week because it has been uh, several weeks since the recording of the Saw 3 episode. I tried to get ahead of recordings, and so I recorded a couple of, of buffer episodes, so I'd always, uh, I, if, I, if I missed a week or, or et cetera, et cetera. So um, as of a few days ago, I was, I was all ready to post my episode about Adam Sandler's Click. Uh, and then following that, I had an episode that I had recorded about the top two most played Mountain Goat songs on Spotify uh, this year and No Children. The Well, I, I broke a computer. I murdered a computer. I spilled a glass of wine directly into a computer. I spilled a glass of wine in such a way as to give the impression that I was just pouring... Like, if I had poured a glass of wine consciously into the computer's keyboard, it would have looked exactly the same as the accidental wine spilling that in, indeed murdered my computer. Uh, so, in, <laughs> in much the same way that the wine obliterated my two episodes of Toxic Podcast, my Buffer episodes... So the wine obliterated my savings account, and I have replaced my computer, and I am now talking into my new computer. Who knows? Maybe I'll name it. Probably not. I don't have that kind of relationship with my electronics. But maybe I should, because I pour wine into them at such high rates. I mean, I don't... This is the first time I've ever spilled a drink onto a computer. But, like, last year... I shouldn't be telling you this, because... It just makes me look so stupid. Like, it makes me... And I am. I'm the stupidest man alive. Last year, during the summer, there was one night when it was raining, and it was, like, really gorgeous outside, and I took my computer out into the backyard of my father's apartment building, and I was watching Netflix in the rain with an umbrella over the computer, and uh, it didn't save the computer, and I had to take it to the Apple store and bring it to a genius and, and tell them what happened. And the genius said, well, you know, generally water isn't good for computers. Oh, and it burned. But so uh, there are lost episodes of Toxic Podcast. First of all, there are lost episodes of Toxic Podcast. Second of all, um, I don't know if this is still Toxic Podcast because I, I tried to get back on my feet this week and, uh, I knew that I had to record an episode real quick because at this point, I'm as of this recording, it is Saturday, eight days from my last release. So I've already broken the week-to-week -week rule. But um, I watched Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, which is it's really it's by far my favorite movie. And I realized I can't do an episode about Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice that isn't as long 
as that movie. I don't know. I want to talk about it at some point. I'm going to literally, it might take me three hours, and I don't know how listenable that would be. Probably very. Uh, following that, a couple of nights ago, I watched um, the 2011 Footloose remake. Uh, today's episode is about the 2011 Footloose remake, and as I watched these two movies concurrently, both of which are some of my favorite movies, I need to establish that also. Um, I wanted to do something, I was going to do 50 First Dates, but I wanted to do something that was a little uh, personal to me, something that had like some zip on it, a little bit of juice, because I know that I need to, <laughs> I know this podcast needs to become a podcast in some way at, at some point. And in fact, all I'm doing is I'm, I'm about to tell you that I've decided to become even looser and more confused about my premise. Like originally I, I was like, really married to this toxic idea and uh those mountain goat songs like we might record we might uh recover the episodes it's possible that i will recover and eventually post the lost episodes of toxic podcast but listening to those two mountain goat songs over and over for a couple of hours genuinely ruined a week of my life <laughs> and like that's i when I started doing this podcast, I was like, that's the point of the podcast is like, you're going to get to hear a man driven insane by all of the finest horrors life has to offer. And then counterpoint to that, I'm that guy. And that's just, I'm just ruining my life. Like I genuinely, I like, and I don't want to put too much at the mountain goats feet. Like I, you know, I suffer from mental health. <laughs> All right, all right, back off, guys. We're not, this is a working relationship, me and you. But, um, you know, there are reasons why, maybe, outside of the work of John Darnell, but uh, it was it just made me realize that, and, and, and to you, too, to you, too, I think I, I think I kind of break down a little bit in Saw 3 when I realized that, like, maybe it's not great listening to just, even if you can't see the blood and the flesh flying, like, I'm still just describing a man having all his limbs twisted off. And in, in the Footloose remake, no one gets their <laughs> limbs twisted off. But it is, it's, ah, see, it's both one of my favorite movies uh, and, a, and a genuine toxic artifact. I don't think that's a stretch when I say that this is a toxic movie. Uh, it's, it's decisions... It's, it's aesthetic choices, the ideas, and, and, and just attitudes that it puts out into the world, and, 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 uh, okay. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta keep, uh, keep disciplined here. So let's get out my notes on the Footloose remake, which, again, I, I think I've said this several times now that it's, like, one of my favorite movies, and I, people, anyone who knows me knows that when I, uh, I, when I when I get really invested in a favorite movie of this ilk, and it often is kind of a toxic artifact. It's rare that I like, and that's kind of sad. Maybe that means that I'm just like a sad mirror of a man. But like, I'm I'm rarely like, hey, check out this awesome movie, Spotlight. I don't know why was Spotlight my example. Yeah, yeah, Spotlight's a fine movie. I liked it, but like, I wouldn't watch it 15 times. I've seen the Footloose remake upwards of 20 times. Uh, is it upwards of 20 times? Let's say 15 to 20 times. Um, I know it inside and out. It's one of those movies that I can really like stand in the center of and just see all of around me. And like, I feel in control of it. Like I'm a spider at the center of its web. I can, I can pluck any note of this movie at any time. I don't even know what that means. It's just such good writing. God, I'm such a great writer. <laughs> 
<laughs> so the beginning of the Footloose remake, I am so happy to say, is the song Footloose, which is a terrible decision on the part of the movie. You sit down and watch Footloose remake, and the song Footloose starts playing. And not only is the song Footloose playing, but this, and I don't, I don't mean to be like a movie nerd, but this is worth mentioning. The song Footloose is playing at a party in the universe of the movie Footloose. So, like, the kids at the party are dancing to the song, and they know the lyrics. They're like, been working so hard. They love singing the song, and they, like, you, you, you know, you see everyone dancing. You see everyone kind of drinking. The, uh, these, uh, the movie beers are so weirdly, the color of the cans of the movie beers, it's, it's like they want you to think that, like, maybe it could be soda, but, like, the context in which they're all drinking the beers, it doesn't... Obviously, those have to be beers, but they're, like, Robin's Egg Blue and White beers. Whatever. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to be preoccupied with that weird inconsistency while I'm trying to discover... I'm trying to describe a different one, which is that, like, the song Footloose is on the radio, and okay. So, let me just, first of all, say... Blowing, I hate to use this expression, it's the only one I can think of. This is really blowing your load. You're really blowing that load. You're just, the load has been blown. <laughs> and, um, like, that's that's your song. And they and I'm going to spoil this. They play it again at the end. We already heard it, guys. Like, I came, yes, I came to see kids dance to Footloose, and that's the first thing you gave me. And then... This is this is really unforgivable, and it's a and it's a disservice to the song Footloose as well. It's so all these kids they're at the party, and we specifically like, we kind of zone in on these five kids who are leaving the party. They're like all got their arms draped around each other. Their cheeks are you know ruddy with the the, the alcohol and the joy of their dancing and their good time. And they're in this car. Uh, they're in the car and they're driving home. And again, Footloose is still playing on the radio, and. There's a there's like a breakdown in Footloose right before the chorus comes back in. It's like ah ah, ah you know like it's one of those it's one of those breakdowns. And the girl in the back seat, she's like, turn it up, turn it up. And they're turning up the music and they're driving across the bridge and they're all like ah, ah, ah. sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry about my voice. And the guy driving the car leans over to the passenger seat, kisses the girl in the passenger seat looks back ahead of her and is staring directly into the headlights of a tractor, uh, like a truck, an 18-wheeler, a tractor trailer. Is that the fucking word? Jesus Christ, I, I cannot but step on my own momentum every time. So so smash, like literally the song Footloose is playing and like in two, like on the one, a truck just, they slam headfirst into this, oh, <laughs> that's the first thing that happens. In this dance musical, um, we then cut to Dennis Quaid, who plays the uh, the antagonist Reverend Moore in this movie. Dennis Quaid is great in this movie. He rules. He's so ridiculous. So he gives this sort of impassioned speech about how we need to protect our children, basically, like, from themselves. And then the town council, this, like, old council of all these, like, mountainous-looking white men, they're like, well, now we're going to vote on this... Uh, this ordinance, and I just want to, so they vote on the ordinance and the wording of the ordinance, there's like, because it's not just dancing, there's like a curfew for minors, 10 p.m. on weekends, 11 p.m. on the weekends. There's no public gatherings from, allowed for minors. Uh, 
no playing of vulgar or demeaning amplified music. Uh, and then here's the last one. There will be no public displays of dancing without supervision. Uh, and so for all of these uh, new rules, the whole council is like sort of bloodlessly going, I, 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 and Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid, by the way, uh, he has two uh, children. One of his children, Bobby, was one of the, the decedents, the decedents, one of the victims, the, the kids who died in the crash is one of his kids died in this fucking car crash. And so now they're all, they're all distraught and they don't know what to do. And I guess the idea is that in their, um, in their desperation, they turned to a, a band they couldn't trust. I don't mean they, they, you know, they, they made these laws against dancing, but his daughter, Julianne Hope, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Uh, she's also in Rock of Ages, the movie, I think she's, uh, she's in this movie. She's the, the female lead in this movie. Um, she plays Ariel, Ariel Moore, uh, and she looks at him like with a very sad face during the, the dance vote, and he looks at her and hesitates for a second, and then he votes I. You know, now dancing is illegal in the town of Beaumont. So then we cut to Ren McCormick's entrance. Ren McCormick, oh God, I love this guy who plays Ren McCormick. You, you know what? I just reached, oh, I'm so, I've seen this movie so many times, I just reached all the way into the deepest recesses of my mind and pulled out the name Kenny Warmold. That's who this actor is. I don't think he's really in anything else. Kenny Warmold of the amazing growing and shrinking Boston accent. He really, he just like occasionally remembers that he has a Boston accent. And he's like, all I want to do is work on the car. But for the most part, he's just a guy with it. Like, whatever, whatever. Um, so he gets off this bus. He looks very hot and cool. He's got like, he's, he's dressed in like a dark t-shirt and sunglasses. He's a city guy walking through this like old sunny Texas town. And he meets up with his, his uh, uncle and aunt have taken him in after his mother has died. His mother has been suffering from a long illness and has passed away. And he is now moving to Beaumont, Texas, uh, where his uncle Wesley has taken him in. Uncle Wesley, everything about this movie is just, just weird. Just every, all the levels are wrong. Like, the first thing that Uncle Wesley does is, um, like, like Kenny Warmall, Ren McCormick is like, it's nice to see you, Wesley. And his first line in the movie is he goes, you used to call me Unky Wes. You too big in the britches for that now? Which, like, what would you, it's like he's mad. It literally, it's like he's mad at him for not calling him Unky Wes. This is, like, clearly a 16 or 17-year-old, you know, clearly a 22-year-old playing a 16 or 17-year-old. It would be weird if he called you Unky Wes. I guess that's just my problem. Um, so they go home, uh, they go, uh, they, there's also two adorable daughters in the movie who don't have a lot. I'm not sure they were like in the script. I think that in a lot of the family scenes, they were just kind of like, Hey, can you two kids sort of like play in the side of the room? And it's very effective. They're very, um, I think, I think they are there to be cute and that is exactly what they accomplish. Uh, they are all sitting around the table at dinner. And this is, you also got to remember like what this movie does and does not decide to give dialogue, space, and attention to, because there's one point at which <clears throat> uh, Ren McCormick assures his family, his his new family, well, assures these, his, yeah, his aunt and uncle and, and, and cousins that he's not a vegetarian, which, like, it, 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 this movie needs to push, especially because it's, like, about a man who dances. There's a lot of, like, weird buttons that it pushes in terms of, like, in terms of, like, performative masculinity and also, like, not being too much of a city boy. Like, oh, don't worry, I'm not a vegetarian. Oh. Um, but then, like, they also, like, they say grace and he, like, doesn't close his eyes for grace. He's, like, a little hesitant about it. Like, th these are the things that this movie wants you to know about Ren McCormick. 
Um, the, the Wesley brings him into the garage and is like, listen, uh, this is your car. Ren's like, listen, I worked on cars. I want to pull my weight around here. Maybe you can give me a job working at, at your garage. And he's like, no, I can't. But Andy Bemis works at a cotton gin. He's going to give you a job on the weekends. Uh, and then he gives him this, he takes him into the garage and there's this old beat up like beetle. Um, and he's basically goes, uh, you know, you're so good with cars, Ren. Like if you can make this run, it's yours. Uh, he said, he also, never mind, I'm not, I'm not going to take you through the dialogue. See, I think a problem with previous episodes of Toxic Podcast is that my obsession with detail causes my summaries to grow absurd, but I, that's probably already what I'm doing right now. Um, so Ren gets to work on this car and he puts on his iPod and he starts listening to Quiet Riot, which is like 80s metal. The music of this movie is all over the place. The tonality of the... Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's a, I, I genuinely love this movie so much. So he's working on the car while he's got his headphones on, his iPod headphones. He's listening to Quiet Riot. And he finds in this sort of junky garage area of his parents, of his uh, aunt and uncle's home, uh, a massive speaker. Which he, he kind of loads it into the back of of uh, the car and he hooks it into his iPod and it creates this cacophonous like the two little girls are playing out in the field and they both put their fingers in their ears and then he rigs up this weird rope <laughs> like the only way he can the, the gas pedals don't work so he I don't even does he not have a brake it doesn't make any sense he ties a rope to his own ignition so that instead of putting his foot on the gas the way that he moves is by pulling a rope and he pulls out of his garage and he's kind of zipping down the road in Beaumont, just blasting the quiet ride out of not a care in the world, tugging on his rope. And he gets pulled over by a cop um, because you're not allowed to play loud, vulgar or demeaning music. And uh, he immediately gives the cop a bunch of attitude, which you're going to throw me in jail for uh, playing quiet riot. And the cop uh, flicks his ID at him and is like, hey, uh, watch it there um, and gives him a summons for disturbing the peace. And this is the first time that uh, that old Remnant Cormac's like, ooh, this town is something, something a little fishy is going on in this town. Um, which I love also that the cop gives him a ticket for, he's like, hey man, uh, that music's too loud. But he's not like, excuse me, is your gas pedal a rope? That's not allowed. You can't, uh, the, the, uh, you need to like, to register that rope with the government if it's a gas pedal, right? I don't, I don't know. I, so I, I should have, I tried to keep going on that, on that. Uh, okay. So then they go to church. It's Sunday. They go to church and Reverend Moore is giving the laziest anti-progress speech I have ever heard in my life. I just want to stress this movie came out in 2011 and Reverend Moore, Dennis Quaid is standing on stage in his like parish giving this sermon about we always, we're always told about progress. We have computers in our pockets, telephones in our automobiles, and money on a plastic card. What the fuck kind of order of operations is that? We have computers in our pockets. They are also telephones. Telephones in our automobiles is a redundancy and not nearly as impressive as computers in our pockets. And credit cards have been around for, like... Like, haven't credit cards been around for, like, 50, 60 years? What is he talking about? Money on a plastic card. And then he's, he's, goes, he's, he's going on. He's, it's 2011. He's going like, how many of you remember when you had to go inside the bank to get your money? Uh, old Harold Delaney would be in there. He'd give you a piece of bubblegum for the road. I don't know any ATMs that'll give me a piece of bubblegum. 
much less make me feel special. It's just, it's just, it's just so goddamn lazy. And so after church, ever this kind of like this, they're all hanging out outside. The um, Ren meets uh, the Reverend Moore. Ren meets the principal of the high school. Who's like, hey, I understand you already got in a little trouble with the law. We got rules against playing music too loud. And Wesley's like, he got popped for playing music. And then he meets uh, Ariel, who's uh, Reverend Moore's daughter, and they just, it's an MTV movie, so they just, their eyes fuck so hard in front of all of their guardians and the principal, by who, none of whom say anything. But um, Then Ariel, she establishes, we kind of, the, the eye of the film turns to her. Um, and she runs off with her best friend, Rusty. She tells her her dad, uh, Reverend Moore, that she's got to stay out the night. A sleepover on a Sunday? Are you sure? Then she's uh, Rusty's like, yeah, it's going to take us at least that that long for uh, to to finish our school project. But they don't go to finish a school project. They go to Chuck Cranston's racetrack. Uh, Chuck Cranston, of course, the villain of this film in this uh, 2011 iteration, he owns a racetrack and he's like a drag racer. Um, oh my god. So Julianne Ho has like changed from her like modest uh, uh, church dress into like sexy jean shorts. And the camera obviously like tracks her ass as she walks down the stairs. And then just to like to draw like a big underline under what we already like the, the camera literally stared at her ass. And then it pans to a guy in a stand staring at her ass and he takes a picture of her ass with a cell phone. And then the woman next to him, like, elbows him. And that's a joke. So Chuck wins the race, and uh, Ariel is like, Woo! And he's like, Get down here, girl! Give me that flag! And she grabs this, like, flag from one of the race guys and runs down to the racetrack and gets into the window of his car. And one of the, the, like, I keep saying race guys. I'm sorry, I don't know what your name is if you work at a racetrack and you hold the flags. But he comes up to the window and he gives this wonderful line of exposition. He goes, Chuck Cranston, I don't care if your daddy does own this racetrack. This is a this dangerous thing to be doing. And, uh, and, and, oh God. And Chuck Cranston goes, chase me down, old man. Chase me down. And he zooms off and Ariel is like waving the flag hanging out of the window of the car. It seems, it does seem like a dangerous stunt. Rusty, of course, is horrified and she like stomps off to the parking lot. Ariel follows her and is like, what, you're just leaving? And she goes, me? Leave you? And uh, basically, Rusty establishes in a few lines that ever since the death of her brother, Bobby, Ariel has been, like, sort of acting out and doing things that are, like, not in her character and that are, like, dangerous and sort of uh, uh, um, uh, pointlessly trying to seem, uh, like, badass. And uh, Ariel is, of course, clams up as soon as Bobby is mentioned and is like, well, I guess I'll get a ride home later then. <clears throat> Uh, and then that night, uh, we, uh, she is, uh, making out with Chuck Cranston and, uh, she like wants him to slow down. And he's like, I thought you were, uh, I thought you were my rebel child. Jesus Christ. <sighs> and, and she goes, I'm not a child. And he goes, then prove it. And she's like, okay, then close the door. And he like closes the door. They're in like a trailer. And, um, I mean, like that, I think there's, there's good acting in this movie. Julian Ho, like her face does a very, like she conveys, she's like the camera, like she, when Chuck turns away, she's like taking off her shirt and she's just like bummed. And then suddenly it's Monday. God, this really, I, I didn't realize how much day to day there was in this movie. Like literally the movie's like Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, Rusty forgives Ariel. And then uh, Ren, oh God. 
My favorite character in this movie appears. Ran is walking down the halls of the school. He's, he's shoulder-checked by someone. It's Willard. Willard is played by Miles Teller. This is Miles Teller's best performance in any movie. I don't care. He's got this big, thick Southern accent, and he like lo- he Willard like loves to fight. Although we don't see it until the end of the movie, but like Rusty, who like he ends up kind of dating Rusty. Not kind of, they end up together. But like she's always like no fighting Willard, and he's like no promises, Rusty. But um, there this char- oh, it's so charming. This first scene with uh with Ren and Willard, and they like kind of get to know each other. They have um oh, there's the oh, let me see. Hang on, I gotta get back to the notes. All right, um. Oh, Willard quickly establishes Dom because they're on the football team together. And like, uh, Ren, I'm sorry, Ren, not Willard. Ren is like the alpha in the Ren-Willard related. Even though Willard probably could murder Ren based on what we see him do. Um, there's a lot of weird man stuff in this movie. Again, um, I think because this is a movie about a man dancing, uh, I, I honestly, I haven't seen the first Footloose, but they're just... There's a lot of weird, aggressive stuff and, like, and kind of sexist jokes and, uh, like, um, oh, God, yeah, like, that night, um, well, there's, oh, well, there's the Russian dancer story where, like, he, Ren is telling this story about how his gymnastics team went to Russia and he went out with these Rush, two Russian ballerinas and they danced their asses off. And then Willard's like, hey, man, you don't start a story about a threesome and not finish it. And then Ren sort of, like, tells this story about a threesome, but then at the end he's like, and then... I'm lying. That was bullshit. We didn't have sex, but we did dance. We danced our asses off. Like, he just... Oh, God. He's so wholesome. Um, later that day, he's asking uh, Miles Teller and Woody, the captain of the football team, about Ariel, the preacher's daughter. And, uh, oh, my God. And Woody's like, oh, you're thinking about Ariel. And, and literally, Ren goes, I'm not trying to bang her or take her ballroom dancing. That's the line. That and it's like, oh god, it's so you could have gotten there a different way. That and nothing about that line is coherent. That's a toxic line. That line's toxic. I'm sorry, there's a lot of toxic dialogue in this movie. <laughs> like when the coach is like, oh, never mind, never. I'm not even gonna. But um, that's when he discovers that dancing is illegal. Uh, they, you know, when when the town the town went crazy after the car crash, they they um they banned everything and um. <clears throat> So Ren, obviously, he's kind of surprised. He's, I think this is when he says, jump back. Because, you know, dancing is very important to Ren. But it, it, the, the, we kind of, it kind of immediately undercuts itself because the very next scene, we kind of go to this, like, massive dance party. Um, oh, my God. This is so... This is so weird, and this is also one of these scenes in one of these um, predominantly white MTV-produced, like... And I feel like CW shows kind of have this attitude as well of, like, um, just being, like, aggressively problematic about race and not caring so much that you, like, almost... That you kind of get away with it. And I, I don't mean... I am not the arbiter of saying whether or not you get away with it. What I mean is it doesn't seem like mainstream culture comes after you or faults you for this weird... Uh, for creating this these movie towns where everyone's white except one guy in the lead cast. But then one scene, you go somewhere where everyone is black. And it's like all the black... like You're like, oh, there were a ton of black people in this town. They're just not in any other scene. Uh, and this is like... You know, we start, I, uh, I I think 
I think one of the lost episodes is one of the ones where I say this, but I just, I, sh- I want to pause at this point and say, like, I understand that as a straight, cis, white man, I have the privilege of looking at movie racism and movie sexism and pointing at it and going, oh, there it is. That's bad. I can identify that. But I do not want to imply that I think I have something incredibly important to say, that I am the arbiter of these discussions. Um, I also have the privilege of looking at these things without being harmed or negative, like, you know, uh, I'm just like, that's bad. I'm not like, that hurts me. Like, these representations are, uh, are bad. I also don't know the extent to which, specifically this representation in, in Footloose, is or is not uh, bad. Um, I just, obviously, oh God, I knew that I was going to start stumbling all over myself when I started trying to talk about this, but this this is also essentially what happens in Click. I just want to say that, that like, I'm not Mr... <sighs> I'm not trying to be Mr. Wokeness, and I also understand the extent to which when I get into this realm, I do become Mr. Performative Wokeness. So I just want to be a little self-aware about that and and sort of pre-apologize and and maybe not apologize, just acknowledge that it's a bit of a, that I'm kind of wading into something when I start doing this, and uh, maybe I might not be the expert (laughs) on uh, movie racism and movie sexism. But in any case... Uh, so now we're at this, like, fast food restaurant where all of the black people in town have gathered to have a, like, rap, a hip-hop dance party. Um, and this is a really fun scene. It's, the dancing is really awesome. Um, Ren has, like, they give Ren this, like, fun dance spotlight. There is a really weird, uh, race moment, uh, where... Uh, this uh, this row of uh, female black dancers comes out and they're all like, I, I'm not going to pretend I know what kind of dance moves they are, but they are all shaking their bodies. And it cuts to Chuck Cranston and Julianne Ho, who are like sitting on the back of his pickup truck watching the dance. And Chuck Cranston's like, now that's what I'm talking about. And Julianne Ho goes, that turn you on? Women acting like hussies? And that's like, it's just like, those are the first black women that we see dancing in the movie and they're immediately described as like being hussies and like their, their dancing is wrong. It then cuts to Willard turns to Ren and goes like, yeah, they really get into it. And it's like, who is they in that line of dialogue, Willard? But in any case, Ren is given a dance spotlight and Julianne Ho uh, tries to make Chuck Cranston jealous by like doing all this like really sexy dancing and dancing all up on Ren. And he sees that she's kind of staring at Chuck Cranston while she like dances on him. And he goes, Hey, you can put on a show for that guy. doesn't mean I'm going to. And he walks away. So she's already, that's kind of a humiliating moment for her. But Dennis Quaid has entered the, uh, <laughs> has entered the fast food restaurant. And for some time now has been staring at her as she dances uh, with, with Ren. Uh, God, he's such a stupid doofus. Dennis Quaid is such a, like, doofus dick dad in this movie. Like, he's never, like, really angry. Oh, until he does something insane at the end. But, like, we're not there yet. Um, so he takes her home, and she, like, kind of stomps upstairs, and he's like, we are not done talking about this young lady. Uh, (laughs) but, um, what, what happens next in this movie? Is this the... Are we going right into the school bus race? Jesus, this movie is a fucking powerhouse of a movie. The next... Is it the next day? It can't be. I don't know what day of the week it is anymore. It's got to be the next weekend, right? Because So it's got to be like a Saturday. Uh, Chuck Cranston 
sends Julianne Ho Ariel as an emissary to invite Ren McCormick to come down to the racetrack on Saturday, where it turns out that Chuck Cranston wants to race school buses. Like, apparently they race school buses in a figure eight every week. Um, so in any case, they race school buses. Uh, this scene is brutally destructive. Like, it's, I mean, it's not, like, hard to watch, but, like, all the school buses are totaled. I, I, Chuck Cranston's dad must be really mad at him. Like, one of them, like, explodes. The, the, you know, like, they all race in a figure eight, and then eventually they start crashing, and Ren rams Chuck Cranston's school bus, and, uh, his, his catches fire, and he finally remembers he's from Boston, and he goes, and I'm on fire. Uh, <laughs> um... But so, yeah, there's just, like, a big fiery, uh, oh, God, and Willard, Willard and Woody are, like, running to the bus. They, like, they all jump off the bus before it crashes into Chuck's bus. There's a great explosion. Willard's, like, covered in dust. He's like, we gotta do that again! Excuse me. Oh, God, I am not on schedule. I, I've got a timer set here, and I'm I'm not where I need to be in the movie. And I'm so, I'm already so bummed out about it. I've, I've derailed myself. I've... I've done things that I'm really unhappy with in this episode. Is this a bad episode of Toxic Podcast? Is this Toxic Podcast? Maybe this podcast is called My Favorite Things. Why is My Favorite Thing the Footloose Reap? If it's called My Favorite Things, then that, no. Oh, God. I'm the, I'm the problem. <sighs> yep, this is exactly where I was. I am the problem with this podcast. Oh, my God. I wish I could get more water. I really need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero until the end of the night. Um, then, okay, the next scene is one of one of Chuck Cranston's goons kind of kind of like feels that Ren might be like a burgeoning alpha and is like in the lobby, being like, "Hey, the lobby, the library," kind of being like, "Hey, man, me and you, like, we're we're cool, right?" And Ren's like, "What do you think? I'm anything like you?" And then. Uh, <laughs> The guy's like, do you get high? Because I do every damn day. And he gives Ren a joint. And Ren's like, take this. Take this back. Take this back. I don't want it. But he's walking through the library, like, holding a joint in his hand, going, take this joint. And the librarian goes, what's that? And he goes, nothing. And he runs into the bathroom and flushes it down the toilet. And then we cut to the principal going, I will not tolerate it. I will not tolerate drugs in my school. And, um... There's this really chippy scene in the principal's office where, like, the cop who gave him the ticket, the librarian, and the principal are all there, and they're kind of, they're like, who's, were you going to smoke the joint or were you going to sell it? With Listen, was it Rich's joint? You can tell me. And then the principal, and I, um, this is a, this is a decent scene. Eh. The principal, uh, says to Ren, he's like, listen, Ren, I knew your mama. And she was like you. She was she was like a fiery heart, you know. It led her up to the big city, but it also led her to get into some unexpected trouble. I cannot believe he says this. He goes, some unexpected trouble. And Ren goes, I'm sorry, are you talking about me? You're literally sitting, I'm the unexpected trouble. Do me a favor. Suspend me, arrest me, but don't you ever talk to me about my mother again. He remembers he's from Boston. And he storms out and he pulls his little rope on his, on his beetle all the way back to this weird area in the original footloose this is we're at the dance tantrum the dance tantrum i've i have not seen the original footloose again i cannot imagine a funnier dance tantrum than the one kenny warmold delivers he puts on a band that sounds like the white stripes but i really want them not to be 
and he just like he jumps all over his car and he like gets on a chain and he swings around the room he gets some of these light blue maybe beers out of his trunk and he like swigs one and then throws it he breaks windows and uh oh my god it's such a baby tantrum it's so funny it's so funny like there's no degree to and like yeah there's very comp, there is competent dancing in the dance tantrum and i do believe as a character, the dancing would blow off steam for him, sure. But it's real bad. It's a real bad, real bad, not fun. <laughs> it's a disaster. It's absolutely a disaster. And then uh, he's kind of like worn himself out and Ariel has been watching the entire time, which if I did something like this and then a lady was like, hey, I just saw you do that, I would walk off a bridge like I would without thinking end my life because that I wouldn't be able to exist for even another second I can't believe that Kenny Warmall just like oh yeah that I was just you know letting loose <laughs> so basically it's like after the school bus race like the whole locus of power shifts towards Ren McCormick I hate to say, that's a weird way of putting it but like now Julianne Ho like wants to take Ren McCormick to like her secret place by the train tracks and she's like Oh God, there's some, there's some terribly problematic dialogue about like, do you think I'm a slut? I think you've been kissed a lot. Do you want to kiss me someday? Um, you know, oh God, that's when he says, that's when he says, if you want, we can take a tumble right here, but you know that sweat's going to dry and you're still going to feel like shit. That's for Chuck. That's not for me, which is like, whoa. Um, but then, uh, oh, there's the train, the train comes and Julianne Ho gets on the train tracks and she's like, this is what we used to do. We used to make out like crazy or just play chicken with the train. And she, it is implied that if Kenny Warmald, I can't believe I just started referring to them as their actor names. It is implied that if Kenny Warmald hadn't jumped in front of the train and like knocked her off the tracks, that she just would have let herself get hit by the train. Like that is a, a weird, weird scene where the lights just barrel down on her. And at the last second, she closes her eyes literally as though that was going to be her death. Kenny Warmald saves her life and they do, there's one of those like, sexy like I had to knock you out of the way of something but now I'm lying on top of you and we're both breathing very heavily and they don't kiss but they both want to um then they go oh, they go to the big city oh this oh my god you oh my god you're right I just I gotta say I'm I'm sorry for all of my previous podcast missteps in this episode leading up until now from this point forward, this becomes the most fun movie in history. Everything about the next several scenes of this movie is just beautiful. They go to this sort of like big city line dancing place. Ugh. Rusty and Willard and and uh, and Ariel and Ren, they go and they're ha there's this awesome dance scene. It's just so fun. The song Fake ID is playing. I think the band is like big and rich. They're like, you know, they're one of those like, we're like funky cowboys. <laughs> And again, like, tonally, this movie is just all over the place in terms of genre. It's, it's, I mean, it's, God, I love it. God, I love this movie. But, like, R Rusty kisses Willard. Willard admits to Ren that he can't dance. So for the whole movie, Rusty's been trying to dance with uh, Willard. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, you go ahead, you go ahead. And finally, Ren's like, what is your deal? Like, we drove two hours. And Willard's like, I can't dance. So Ren drops him off at, like, the, like, the, like, beginner's dance step class. Oh, it's so cute. And then um, 
he gets punched in the face for being like toxically masculine. There's a, this is a toxically masculine movie. Every, all of these toxic artifacts are like, that's the thing that I'm discovering about this podcast too. And like why I might, uh, because like a study of toxic media is inherently like a study of toxic, toxic masculinity. I, 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 from what I can gather, well, it's just this scene where Rusty is dancing with another man and he's kind of got his hands on her butt and she's wearing Willard's hat. She just kissed him, which like, she just kissed you. Like, maybe don't be immediately... Je- like, literally... Whatever. But he, like, runs onto the dance floor and he's like, Hey, get your hands off my girl! And, uh... <laughs> they, it's kind of a funny scene because he, he he does one of those, like, Why don't you... You have two seconds to punk on out of here before I kill you! And then he gets punched in the face. He gets knocked out. Rusty breaks a bottle over this guy's head. For some reason, they're not asked to leave. I don't know why. Uh... Ren and Ariel are allowed to finish their incredibly sexy dance, which by, like, again, for a character who, like, just earlier in the movie was like, that turn you on, women acting like hussies, like, it was, this, they're just, fuck, they're fucking, they're dance fucking. And it's, and it's fine! It's fine that they're dance fucking! They drive back, and they're driving, oh, that, this is lovely, they're driving over the bridge where the car crash happened, and Willard accidentally goes, this bridge gives me the creeps. He, like, forgets that he's in the car with the sister of one of the deceased... Um, but, uh, when Julianne Ho is dropped off at her house, obviously it's past curfew, and, uh, it's funny that we never see Willard's parents, like, Willard's parents are never like, Willard, are you out dancing? Like, just, (laughs) they're like, they're like, hey, Willard, live your fucking life. We support you. God, I wish I had Willard's parents. I'm the Willard of this movie. Like, I really identify with Willard a lot. I'm not like him as a guy. But, like, we're cut from the same cloth. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I gotta continue. Reverend Moore, just, he's, because Ren is from the big city and because of that thing with the joint, he's developing this vendetta against, against Ren, and he's convinced that, like, Ren is the bad influence on Ariel's life when, of course, it's Chuck. Chuck is the bad influence. Dennis Quaid doesn't seem to know that Chuck exists. Which, like, by the way, how, if Beaumont is such a small town, is she riding around in a car on a on a packed racetrack and no one at that race knew who she like hey uh dennis saw your daughter waving a flag at the racetrack that on sunday evening again uh, oh god so now i think i might start getting out of order but uh dennis quaid approaches wesley at his job to be like listen i don't think your daughter's a good influence on my son um and uh Wesley's like, with all due respect, I could say it's the other way. Oh my God. He's like, I think you're saying that my, my, uh, my nephew isn't good enough for your daughter. I could say it's the other way around. Ooh. Um, but the, at this, yeah, at this point, oh my God. This is, so Ren and Willard, are having a conversation about how dancing is illegal and oh my god, oh my god, I'm out of time. I set a 46 minute timer for this episode and I'm like not even at the end of the movie. <laughs> oh my god. Oh shit. Listen. Ren, he, he focuses his energies. He's like, I'm going to challenge the ordinance against public dancing. And we're going to have like a real dance. We're going to have a nice dance. And I'm going to, and Willard, you're going to learn to fucking dance. And then there is the greatest montage in all of cinema. 
It's Let's Hear It For The Boy. It's Willard learning to dance while Let's Hear It For The Boy plays. It is absolutely beautiful. It's lovely. It's intercut with scenes of Ren going around the library, getting all the town records and looking at the laws and printing up petitions and, and, and flyers about how challenge the dance band. And there's a culminating scene. Do we go to... Do we go to the... Um, Okay, because now a few insane things happen, right? Um, the, yo, oh my God. Yeah, so now the movie becomes insane because uh, <clears throat> Julian Ho goes to break up with Chuck Cranston and uh, he, like, <sighs> he's, like, really gross to her and, and like calls her like a like a slut I think and she like starts sort of pounding at his chest with her fists and he grabs her and throws her to the ground like viciously throws her to the ground and then starts to drive off and she hits his truck with a metal bar and he gets out of the truck and like punches her in the face uh, the fact that this is a movie about dancing and the 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 Tonal, yes, I know, this. the episode should be done, and all I, I'm about, ugh. The degree of violence when violence appears in this movie is so jarring, and the, the fact that, like, why? Why? that It's it's that didn't, that, it's not necessary. And then, literally the next scene, they're in the church, Julian Ho has a black eye, and Dennis Quaid comes in, thinks it's Ren. They get into an argument, and Dennis Quaid slaps Julianne Ho. She is hit twice by two different men in a period of, like, two hours in this movie. It's, oh my god, I cannot believe that choice. I can't believe the movie does that. And, and Andy McDowell, who plays his wife, who has nothing to do in this movie, she goes, like, she's like, Dennis! Like, everyone, I mean, geez, geez, I I have watched this movie a few times with, with other people. Like, I've shown it to people. Every time that scene happens, every time Dennis Quaid slaps Julian Ho, the person that I'm watching it with goes, what? Because that is such, it's so egregious. And then, oh, by the way, his character is like immediately forgiven. Like it's never really, it's not addressed. It's, he's, he's just like, whoop, oh, so, I'm so sorry about that. Um, he does get like mercilessly roasted by uh, Andy McDowell in the, in the next, she, sa she says to him like, I've been a preacher's wife for 25 years. I've been supportive. I've been silent. I still think that you are an amazing preacher. It's the one-on-one -on -one where you could use some work, which is, that's a good line of dialogue. Um, Julianne Ho gives Ren McCormick her Bible in which she's highlighted several passages to help him in his upcoming city council meeting. The, the, all the students gather in the city council hearing chamber. It's like filled with kids in addition to the usual fucking bureaucratic monsters who, who just rip this country apart for their own gain. Um, and, uh, Ren McCormick is allowed to give this very goofy speech about, it's such a bad speech to, to be giving to a town who just had a bunch of kids die in a car crash five years ago. Cause he, the, the thrust of the speech is like, we're teenagers. Like we're supposed to make mistakes. It's our job to make mistakes. Cause pretty soon we're not going to be teenagers. We're going to be like you. We're going to be adults. We're going to be worried about our teenagers, but now we got to make, it's like, no, you don't, it's, that's the whole reason they made the laws is because teenagers do make mistakes and, and, and the, and they don't want you dancing because you're going to dance yourselves into an early grave. 
Dennis Quaid says a very funny line. He says, personally, I do believe that dancing can be destructive. Oh my God, that also reminds me of this line that the principal says with, when he's talking about the joint, when they're in the principal's office, the principal goes, and I don't care what the rap music people say, marijuana is just wrong. Like, it's that kind of movie. Um, so this is also, God, what a toxic movie. What a toxic movie. They, they lose. They, they, it builds and builds and builds to this like big long speech that Kenny Wormald very occasionally remembers that he's from Boston during where he, he, he quotes all these Bible verses about how like Jacob danced before the Lord, showing his love of God, showing his love of life. How? By dancing. That's all we're doing here. But then they lose. Like they lose. The, the end of Footloose, this is such a weird thing. At the end of Footloose, they, the, it's still illegal to dance. But the guy who owns the cotton gin, through some like bureaucratic like drawing of lines, technically the cotton gin is in the town of Basin and not Beaumont. So dancing isn't illegal in Basin. So they have this like there's this lovely scene actually where they sort of set up the dance. Oh, everything from now on is just nice. Everything is now everything's nice again. And this movie that's that's also what's so dangerous about this movie because it's about to be very fucking insanely weird. Like it is about to go through an insane tone shift after already having done so eight million times. But like. Kenny Wormald and Reverend Moore kind of make up. They, because Kenny Wormald has lost his mother, Reverend Moore has lost his son. Like they have something in common, and like Reverend Moore finally finally realizes that like this is a good kid, and he like cares about my daughter, and he's not trying to be like a weird bad influence on the town. And he gives he gives Rem McCormick his blessing to take Julian Ho to take Ariel to the dance, and Ariel and 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 Reverend Moore have this lovely little scene where they kind of dance a little bit in the living room before she goes out with Ren and they drive to the dance and and um they get in there and uh and everything's all cute but like the the like men oh it's so dumb it's so dumb and toxic all the men and the women are on opposite sides of the dance and the football coach walks up to all the men and he gives this speech where he's like hey see those girls over there they're not looking for a first down or a touchdown they're looking for some real men to man up and ask him to dance. And they all put their hands in the center and they're like, break. And all the men walk over, all the boys walk over and ask the girls to dance. And everyone's kind of having like a little nice slow dance. And um, then Willard and Rusty show up. And uh, Rusty tells Willard that she thinks he's sexier than socks on a rooster, which is something like I just, all I ever want to be is sexier than socks on a rooster. He's wearing like this lovely little hat. And Chuck Cranston and his goons roll up to the dance. And <laughs> Rusty's like, remember your promise, Willard, no fighting. And Willard's like, all right, all right. Hey, guys, hey, guys, come on, no trouble tonight. No fighting. And Chuck Cranston's like, yeah, no fighting. And he punches Willard. And, like, all the goons, like, grab Rusty. And, like, there's two dudes, like, beating up Willard. And Rusty, this is, like, this is where Willard becomes, like, a superhero. Rusty's like... What Willard do something? And and Willard's like, I thought you said no fighting. And she goes, they, just kill the bastards. And then Willard immediately just beats the shit out of two people at the same time. And there is a scene of brutal violence. Like in this in the spirit of the truck crash and and um the double instances of abuse against Julianne Ho, there there is a huge tone shift where people are just getting like ripped in the face. Willard hits a guy in the face with a side view mirror. Like people are taking punches that they should not be standing up from. <laughs> um, 
Chuck Cranston tries to hit Ren with a crowbar. Ren like bloodies his nose, like breaks his face open. And then Andy Bemis, a, a, a guy runs up behind Ren with a brick. Andy Bemis grabs the brick and goes, play fair, punk, and knocks the guy down. And then again, immediate tone shift. Andy Bemis goes, hey, uh, Ren, get, I know that you just beat some men to within an inch of their life. Get back into that party and help, help out everyone dancing. They, they're, not, they're not dancing enough. And Ren runs into the party and he pours some confetti into something and some confetti flies out all along the room and he goes, what is everyone being so, uh, you know, let's dance. And then they play Footloose again. And then Willard gets to unveil his dancing for Rusty. Like Rusty's never seen Willard dance. And he like, he's like, hold my hat. And he goes out and he fucking rolls. He just like, he runs the floor, baby. He runs that dance floor. Um, Jesus, Jesus. So that's the end of Footloose is the, his dancing is still illegal. Um, But at least everyone had a nice fun party and, and broke Chuck Cranston's nose. Um, I have, I always struggle with ending these podcasts. Um, First of all, uh, write, write, rate, review, and subscribe. You can, you can, you can review and subscribe. I'm sorry. It's a fucked. I'm sorry. The podcast is fucked. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I, I'm sorry that I actually said that word earlier, which maybe I'm making a bigger deal of it than I need to, but I also don't want to not make a big deal of it. God, I'm such a fucking, I'm sorry. Footloose. Okay. Let me think. Like I, what I've been trying to do is like inject myself in some sort of fantastical way into the media that I've been consuming. So like for the past few weeks, I, you know, I think I've been like sort of building saw traps. Um, I guess let me just, you know what, hang on. Let me talk, let me talk a little bit about progress. Now, uh, we live in an age where you can get in a box, tell it what floor you want to go to, and that box raises you up into the sky. How many of you remember when when you wanted to go to the sky, you had to climb a mountain? I don't know any bikes, I don't know any boxes that with snow in them. They talk about progress. Oh, they talk about progress. You know, nowadays... You can put your food in a box, and the box keeps the food cold. Whatever happened to several of your kids dying from uh, various foodborne illnesses? How many of you remember when you had to have a lot of kids because child mortality was just, you had to assume most of them would die because all of your food was, that's, ooh, you talk about progress, oh, progress, no one's allowed to dance. Okay, uh, I'm Alejandro Collini. Toxic podcast. Be well. Take care of yourselves. Don't don't listen to the mountain goats for two hours on a continuous loop. Uh, maybe this podcast will be called my favorite things next week. No, it'll still be called toxic. No. All right, Jesus. Uh, we have fun here on Toxic Podcast, or do we?